Welcome to another episode of the Young Woman Feminist Podcast. I am your host, Julia. Many suggest that part of being a feminist includes being an ally to other oppressed populations. The YMF community contains many members of such groups. The YMF blog and Facebook group has recently had a lot of discussion on how to be a good ally and how to provide a safe space for trans people. To discuss this topic with me, I have three YMFers. With me, I have Curtis Penfold. Curtis is an active voice in YMF, is genderqueer, and co-founded the Facebook group Transgender Mormons and Allies, which is dedicated to empower transgender Mormons. Welcome, Curtis. Hey, welcome. Yay. I also have with me Brianna. She's also an active voice in YMF on trans and feminist issues, and she sings alto in the One Voice Choir for LGBT Mormons and Allies. Welcome, Brianna. Good to be here. Last but not least, I have with me Lucas Kieran. Z has written blog posts for ZMF discussing trans issues, including the popular post Beyond the Binary. Thank you for coming, Lucas. Hello, thank you for having me. One thing I want to say up front is just to provide a little bit of a content warning. We will be discussing trans violence in this podcast, so I want to make sure our audience is aware before we go on. So to start out, we're going to talk a little bit about macro-trans antagonisms, meaning the major acts or things in society that make it um, unsafe or dangerous for trans people. And then we're going to discuss cisnormativity and micro-trans antagonism and what issues allies can be sensitive to. So first to start off, that we're talking about kind of the broader issue of the macro-trans antagonism, I'm going to ask you, Lucas, what, tell us a little bit about some of the major acts against and risks of being trans in our society. According to the Executive Summary of Injustice at Every Turn, which is a report of the National Transgender Discrimination Survey, well, there's a lot that it covers, and you can find it on Transgender Law Center's website, transequality.org. And we're going to put a post to that on uh, the website, too. Yes. Well, first of all, one of the key findings is that 41% of respondents reported attempting suicide compared to 1.6% of the general population. With rates rising for those who lost a job due to bias to 55%, people who were harassed and bullied in school rates rise to 51%, and people with low household income, people who were the victim of physical assault or sexual assault to 61% for physical assault and 64% for sexual assault. So 64% of trans respondents who experience violence also attempted suicide. Yes. And trans people experience double the rate of unemployment of the general population. Wow. 47% said that they had experienced an adverse job income, like being fired, not hired, or denied a promotion because of their status as trans or gender non-conforming. Wow. So that, I mean, it's not something that's just in your personal life. Obviously, this affects, this can affect everything around you. And my understanding is also the it's difficult for trans people to, or impossible for trans people to join the armed forces. Is that correct? Yes. I actually, my, you know, my parents are military, my father is military. And I was talking to a person at the hospital that I go to, and they said that, like, oh, you know, you could always fall back on the military. But then I told them I was trans, and they were like, oh, you might want to find something else. Um, I mean, there are people who are working to improve that situation. Free speaking, I was going to join the Navy, actually. I was going to go into the nuclear engineering program, um, but 
then I realized that I looked into things, and yeah, that's correct. If you are gay, lesbian, or bisexual, you're still allowed to be in the armed forces ever since they repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. However, transgender people are still given a discharge, and it's not an honorable discharge, which makes it much harder to find a job once you go back to civilian life. Whereas if you were to get an honorable discharge for any reason, it's a lot easier. But the fact that you're transgender means that they discharge you uh, for mental illness reasons, which carries a lot of stigma in the regular workforce. So they classify uh, being trans as a mental illness? That's correct. Wow. Yes, up until this year, actually, um, gender identity disorder was cited in the DSM. Um, it was changed to gender dysphoria in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. But there is still a lot of um, people who believe that it's a mental illness. Then we have specific things that society does that is othering to trans. And that's like cis normativity. Curtis, will you talk a little bit about what cis means and what cis normativity is? Um, yeah, cis uh, I, cisgender uh, is used within the transgender and gender nonconforming community to refer to those who identify as the same gender that they were assigned at birth. Um, it was probably created as a way to stop saying that there's like transgender and normal. Like, there's nothing normal about being the, the identifying as the same gender you're assigned at birth. It just is what you are. You know what I mean? So we started using the word cisgender. And so when we say cisnormativity, we're making the assumption that everybody is cisgender, um, or that cisgender is superior to being transgender. Um, cisnormativity and cissexism, as it's sometimes called, um, oftentimes refers to connecting genitalia with gender. So we have people who just assume if you're a man, you have a penis. If you're a woman, you have a vagina. Or if you have a vagina, you're a woman. Or if you have a penis, you're a man. Well, that's not always the case. Where we have women with penises, we have um, men with vaginas. And we also have uh, other forms of genitalia uh, within the intersex community as well. Um, and we have non-binary individuals who can have any form of genitalia, right? So um, that connection of, of genitalia or chromosomes um, or the gender you're assigned at birth with the gender that you are uh, is a cis-normative, cis-sexist system. Um, you oppose that, like, lots of trans activists and gender non-conforming activists are pushing an idea of gender being an identity, um, an identity-based gender system. So if you want to go against cis-normativity, you want to go against cis-sexism, like, the best thing to do is to associate gender with identity. What, what, what does that mean? Can you explain that a little bit, associating gender with identity? As in gender is something that, that an individual uh, claims. So an individual says, I am man, and that means they are a man, period. Uh, we don't need to, like, decide for them. We don't need to ask about their genitalia. We don't need to ask about what the gender they were assigned at birth. We can just say, if you're a man, you're a man. If you say you're a man, you are a man. Or if somebody says, I am androgynous, I am genderqueer, I am a woman. Like, it's an identity-based uh, gender system. So is that, I mean, does that imply that gender is fluid, and so someone can ha have their gender change? Um, on some levels, I, th I think it would, because for s there are going to be some individuals 
who are going to have a distinct gender identity, a distinct gender um, at one point in their life, and they might have a different one in another. Um, and there are certain individuals who uh, who are gender fluid um, and who experience gender sometimes fluctuating, uh, their gender identity changing even throughout the week sometimes, depending on the gender fluid individual. How does that work? With gender fluid people that I talk to, sometimes... Uh, there's a discussion about waking up in the morning and practicing pronouns on yourself and saying, am I a man or am I a woman? Uh, do I want people to say he or she? Do I want them to say they or z or zer? Um, do I want them to identify me as, as this gender or that gender or this other gender? Um, and so that's kind of how gender fluid people sometimes talk about it. Other gender fluid people, the word gender fluid can also refer to people who feel that their gender is hard to describe. It feels like a fluid um, thing that's just hard to describe. Uh, sometimes they, I, it, it depends on the gender fluid individual, so I don't want to speak for all gender fluid people. Sure. Well, that's really interesting. Um, Brianna, can you talk a little bit about the difference between um, binary and non-binary gender identity? Well, sure. So you have your binary gender identities, which are male and female. Those are commonly known as, commonly referred to as kind of the two genders. But then there's these non-binary, non-binary identities, where sometimes they can be somewhere between male and female. They can be androgynous, or sometimes they're outside of that binary. They can be a gender, they can be gender queer, they can be gender fluid, like Hertz was saying, they can be bi-gender, where you feel that you're two different genders, but they don't necessarily have to be strictly male and female. There's a movement somewhat in the trans community of just referring to these people as gender non-conforming, though the more common term for the for these people would be gender queer for these individuals. Uh, of course, if you're confused about which term someone prefers, it's always best to just ask them first. So non-binary and genderqueer are the same thing. It just depends on which term someone prefers. Um, more or less. Non-binary is a larger, more encompassing okay. term. Genderqueer um, can be used as an encompassing term, but some people also use it for a specific identity. Got it. And... Curtis here, I, I just want to throw out there that um, everybody will be using these terms differently, obviously, because it's, it's more of like a, uh, a new development, like a conversation we're having. Not that these identities are new, de new developments, but like the language we're using surrounding these identities are new developments. And so we even have genderqueer people who um, don't necessarily identify as non-binary. Like there's people who say, oh, I'm a genderqueer man. Um, for whatever reason, and, and that might mean something to them, might refer to their genderqueer expression rather than their genderqueer identity. Um, so these words are being used in different communities to mean different things, and by different people to mean different things. Exactly. You can fall into the genderqueer binary identities, which are things like someone being demi-male to where they're male, but not quite exactly identifying as much with it as other people, or you can have other individuals who are things like demi-female, or uh, there's a variety of terms. It's all kind of very new language that we're still working with, as Curtis said. Got it. Sounds like 
It could be um, a minefield for an ally who's trying to be respectful um, and uh, inclusive. So how does one navigate these terms that mean different things to different people? Uh, Lucas here. I think that, like, one of the ways you can navigate it is just, you know, when someone talks to you about their identity, you, like, listen to them and you listen to how they define their identity because it's really important to self-define. It's important to respect people self-defining. You, you can't just be like, oh, you're genderqueer, so that means this. Like, genderqueer means different things to different people. You know, non-binary is kind of more of a general term that means not male and not female, but it also could mean that you're not strictly male or female. You could identify as, like Brie and Curtis were saying, like sometimes male or sometimes female or sometimes both, sometimes neither. There, it's, it's really just, it's one of those whole your mileage may vary things. It depends from person to person. So what I'm hearing is that the most important thing is not to make assumptions about someone and to talk to them about it. Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing that, that can be difficult is when is an appropriate time to talk to someone about their gender identity? You know, there are some people who aren't out or some people who um, take offense to this type of conversation. How does one navigate those types of situations? Curtis here. I actually, I'm not entirely sure, because, like, the reason why I'm not sure is because when I started presenting more androgynously, um, when I, you know, when I started having more of a, of a femme appearance with my, with my, like, facial hair and everything, um, at that moment, people started wanting to talk to me about gender all the time, which doesn't bother me entirely, because, like, I like talking about gender, but... I know other people, other genderqueer people who will present in a way that's not inconforming, um, who uh, kind of dislike the fact that they're treated so that we're treated so differently than cis people. You know, kind of dislike that the moment they, they see a certain appearance, people are like, "Oh, I want to talk to you about gender," and you're like, "Why can't do you do this with everybody?" Um, so this is a difficult thing, and I think everyone's going to probably tell you something else, uh, something different. And so as an ally, uh, it's important that you recognize that everyone's going to have their own feel, their own opinion about, like, what's the correct thing to do. Um, and that sometimes you just have to respect people person by person and learn as you go. Exactly. Bree here. So uh, I'm with Curtis a lot on this sort of thing, uh, on this topic, just because... I have had experiences where people assume that when they see me that suddenly that all I want to talk about is trans politics and gender things, but you have to remember that there's a fine line between thinking someone might be interested in something so that you can talk to them about it and tokenization, and you have to make sure, it, it really depends on the person, but you have to make sure that if you're talking to someone about it, it has something to do with the conversation, in my opinion. That way you can avoid tokenizing them just because they're trans and you assume that that means they want to talk about gender things. Right, because a person is more than just their gender identity. And uh, you want people to not see you solely as someone with a differing experience on gender identity. Exactly. It's kind of like 
when you're talking to someone of a from a different culture, whether it's a different state or a different country, most of the time it's socially accepted that you talk to that person about things that you want to talk about, like movies or sports or whatever, and then you don't come up to them and say, hey, I noticed you're from Indiana. You need to tell me everything about it because I'm going to assume that you're all about telling people about it. Like, just because someone's had a different experience doesn't mean that they want to tell everyone about it. And that really ties into the larger problem in the community of tokenizing minorities. Curtis here. I do think, though, this this is when things get difficult, though, too, right? Because, like, you don't want to tokenize, you do, but you do want to make sure that... that uh, you understand the trans experience, and there's plenty of stuff online you could read uh, rather than just walking up to every person. Right. Let's talk a little bit about pronouns, because different people have different pronouns that they prefer to use. Lucas, will you tell me a little bit about the pronouns that are commonly used? Um, yes, like, there are a lot of pronouns. One of, I mean, a lot of people use he or she pronouns, um... But a lot of people also use they. Like, a lot of people will say that they is not a proper singular pronoun. But it's been used a lot as a singular pronoun. And a lot of times we use it without even realizing it. We'll look at someone and we won't know what gender they are. Or we'll just, like, say, like, they have this or they're doing that. And we won't really notice it. But, like, it seems like when it comes down to talking about those pronouns for someone who specifically uses them, people are, like, so hesitant to use them. They're like, but it's a plural pronoun. It's, it's, it, it can be a plural pronoun, but it can also be a singular pronoun. And that's how a lot of people use it. There's also um, Z-here pronouns, like Z went, over, Z went to the store and bought herself some watermelon, and that is for here picnic tomorrow. Are you going to here picnic? Um, or there's, you know, I, I use, uh, Z, Zim, Zir. So it's like, this is Lucas, Z is my friend, I like to talk to Zim, um, Z likes to play Minecraft, you know, like, so uh, one thing that is good is, like, obviously you want to make sure it's an okay time to do this, but if you're not sure about someone's pronouns or, you know, ask them what pronouns they use. Or, like, if someone says, hey, you use this pronoun for me, but I actually use the pro these pronouns, then definitely listen to them and try to use those pronouns. And if you don't know how to use them, ask them, you know, how do you conjugate these pronouns that you use? I want to be able to use them for you. So you said that you use Z-Zim pronouns. Yes. What made you want to use those pronouns? Um, I don't know. I I use he pronouns in, you know, in around here because like at work or something because I'm trying to pass as male because it's, you know, I um, I mean, I don't identify as male, but it's easier to present as, you know, male than to like explain to everyone that I'm genderqueer, that I'm nesiogender, which is a word coined for uh, neuroatypical people who do not really have a grasp on gender. I don't know, I, I was just kind of like looking at pronouns and I kind of like was like, these ones are really nice. A, a few, a couple years ago I actually used uh, Z, Zim, 
uh, zero pronouns. But most people just went to using they, them, or he, his, and I was just like, okay. But now I'm a little more proactive in asking people to use my pronouns. And I mean, I don't mind they, them, but I would definitely rather not have she or he pronouns used for me. And I do prefer that people, when they can, use these and zero pronouns. Got it. Now, Curtis, um, I understand that you, you, you use they, them pronouns. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so what made you um, choose those pronouns? I really like the other pronouns. I really like the Zemzer and those pronouns as well, but it, I kind of feel like people aren't used to them yet. Um, I hope that at some point we have a recognized uh, pronoun that's used, thir- a third-person singular um, pronoun that's that's used in a genderless way. Um but for right now, I think they, them, there, like Lucas said, is, is used extensively. So uh, I feel most comfortable with they, them, and there. Um, I identify as, as gender fluid, and there are moments where I do feel male-ish or female-ish or uh, androgynous. Um, and I, I do experience different gender uh, identities at different times in my um, life. And I've noticed, though, that like even if I'm feeling a gender that's somewhat within the binary and even if in that moment i'm okay with the he pronouns or the she pronouns um i found that it's really not worth it because later on i'm feel very uncomfortable with those pronouns and i feel out of place and i feel misgendered and so uh, i just i just prefer that people just refer to me as they them and their um so that that way um no matter what gender i am at that moment um I don't feel like they're misgendering me. Does that, if that makes sense? No, that makes total so, sense. Yeah, because if you if you're feeling if you feel gender fluid, then you wouldn't want to commit to one specific gendered pronoun because you might feel yeah. differently and have to correct people all the time. Yeah, well, some gender fluid people um, I've met sometimes have this thing where they feel that where if they're presenting a certain way, they want certain pronouns. Um, but I haven't always connected my presentation, my, my gender presentation with my gender identity. It hasn't always felt connected. And so, um, and also I don't really view they, them, and their, like some people view their, their pronouns as a part of their gen, like a positive aspect of their gender. So are, you'll see that with people who, for example, if you're she, um, you might view she as representative of your actual gender identity. To me, they is a genderless uh, pronoun, and it doesn't represent my gender identity as much as it's just you're not gendering me, so I feel all right. <laughs> Got it. Now, Brie, um, what pronouns do you use and why? Um, I use female ones, and that's just because I identify. I'm a very, I'm a very kind of binary female individual. Sometimes I will present in a more androgynous way, but that's more of a fashion choice. Whereas at the end of the day, I still feel female. And so I haven't really experienced the shift in identity or the non-binary identity. And so I haven't felt a need to use any non-binary or gender-neutral pronouns. And so I just use she because that perfectly sums up how I identify with myself. Got it. So we talked about how to not tokenize people who have a different gender identity. So is what's the polite way 
and th- this may be a little bit of what we've already talked about, but what's the polite way of asking what pronouns to use? Because this topic has come up at least three times in the YMF group. It's how to ask someone what pronouns they use to avoid misgendering. Curtis here. Um, I have a fear of people only asking individuals who they think are trans, who they're reading them as if they're trans, um, or they read them as, as gender nonconforming. Um, and so it sometimes feels kind of like a tokenizing thing when you walk up, when the person experiences every day, people walking up to them saying, so what's your preferred pronoun? I feel like it's something you should really just ask everybody. That's how I, I interpreted it personally, that, that, if you want to make sure you're getting you're gendering them right, then you should ask them what their gender is. But if you don't really feel like asking, and I'm talking about everybody, including people who you think are cis, um, but if you don't feel like asking, then I feel like you shouldn't be gendering them because it's their identity and not yours. And so I try my best to use the they, them, their pronouns for for everybody until they say something sharing what their gender is. Um, and, and if they, if they share that they're male or female, I'm going to use male or female pronouns. Um, and if they share that they are, uh, gender queer or androgynous at that moment, I'm going to ask them, oh, what pronouns do you prefer? Um, but until that moment, I try to just use genderless pronouns, but that's me and my approach towards it. And I'm sure everyone has their own approach. Yeah, this is Lucas. Um, I, I feel like we should definitely normalize asking for pronouns to like everyone, because, cause, like, we brought up before, like, Curtis has brought up and, like, Brie has brought up, um, it's tokenizing to, like, look at someone and just say they look trans, so I'm going to ask them about their pronouns. And that's also kind of, it's honestly just kind of gross. Like, you're just, like, like, we should just, you know, make it a thing to, I mean, obviously in a way that is, polite and in a situation where it is safe, you know, ask people when they're comfortable with it, when you think they're going to be okay with it, when you feel like it's a safe time to ask, when there's not people who are going to judge or anything, like, like pull them aside and ask, hey, I'm not sure what pronouns you use and I don't want to misgender you, so would you like, would you be willing to tell me what pronouns you use? And I think that should be a thing. And like, you know, like, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to, you know, we would just have, like, all of these pronouns, and, like, people wouldn't only ask trans people, people would ask everyone. Not to put you on the spot, but do you actually ask everyone what the, what pronouns to use for them? Um, when I talk to people online, usually, yes, if they don't have them specified anywhere. Um, in real, and in, in person and stuff and in real life it's a little different because i live in texas so a lot of people are most people around me are cisgender and or at least in my area i don't have very many trans support groups where i am and um like and it's and it's plus it's kind of not a safe area in general to like even if you pulled someone aside people would want to know what you were like talking about and so like maybe if i was texting someone after talking to them and be like hey um what pronouns do you use or something um but for the most part the people that i interact with 
in person are cis. Like at work, you know, um, I think I might be the only trans person or at least the only out trans person at work. Well, I'm not out at work, but, you know. Right. Curtis, what about you? Do I ask everybody? Yeah. I I don't because, like I said, I, I just try to not gender people. Um, and so anyone I see, it, I know I have a, a gut reaction where I'm all like, oh, that's a... That that's a woman or that's a man, and it might. But when I I try to rethink that and I try to say, they are wearing a dress, or I like their beard because I really don't know their gender because their gender isn't based on um, the way they express themselves. It's based on identity. Got it. Do you think that asking someone what pronouns they use is intrusive or personal? This is Bree here. It can be in some situations. It really depends on the context. If you have made it abundantly clear what pronouns you are, what gender you are, but then someone is still loud in front of a bunch of people being like, oh, so what do you use again? Then that's kind of a really passive-aggressive way of not really respecting someone's gender identity. But I feel like if it's done with respect, if it's done in a place of wanting to actually know the person's pronouns, wanting to know what gender they are, then I feel like I feel like it's not a problem then. The problem lies is the problem lies in people using it to passive aggressively discount someone's gender identity and their pronouns after they've already told people publicly what they are got it now Bria um, my understanding is you have a little bit different perspective on whether to ask someone always what their gender pronouns are yeah so I feel that in a perfect world everyone would ask everyone what their preferred pronouns are because then it would remove any amount of stigma of around that whole concept. In my experience, though, that isn't what happens. And so what I tend to do is if I'm around someone and I don't know them, then I tend to try and respect pronouns based on cues that they've given, uh, based on, like, it's... I hate to say it's based on the presentation entirely because of course one can present one way but actually identify another but for me that's a good baseline measurement for how they most likely identify at first and so in my experience I find that asking for pronouns can be really useful if people maybe have a more androgynous look to them or if they seem like they might be non-binary just based on conversations you've had and things like that and of course that's a really tricky thing to navigate because of course anyone can be non-binary you might just not know it but also I've had an experience to where people will come up and ask you what your pronouns are will come up and ask me what my pronouns are rather when I've made it abundantly clear I'm female by presenting that way, by referring to myself as female, 
and things like that, but they still feel the need to ask. And I feel that that can be a really passive-aggressive way of misgendering someone or of telling them that they don't pass or things like that. Passing being if they look like the gender that they identify as. And so, while it of course gets really tricky when you're talking about non-binary identities, I feel that for a lot of cases of people with a binary identity at least, it can be really disrespectful if they are doing their best and presenting as their gender the best they are and then still have people kind of discredit them by asking them, oh, so are you male or female when it's someone who is, you know, very being very obvious that they are presenting as female. Curtis here. I feel like it's a version of, like, cis-sexism. It's this idea that... Um, when we were talking earlier about how cisgender identities above transgender identities, like, like if you do something only to trans people, like that might be of that might be um, you might be participating in the form of cissexism. So if you're if you're only asking people who you think are trans, um, I think that there there could be a problem in that. Um, yeah, and so it gets really difficult to navigate that because on the one hand, I want people to. I mean, like, like I was saying before, in a perfect world, everyone would ask everyone what their pronouns are. Um, but in my experience, I've found that people only ask me what my pronouns are when they're being really passive-aggressive about my identity. And so it, it can be really tricky to try and navigate that. And I, I, can, see, I can see how that can be a form of sexism. Right, but if on the same token, Bria, understand, like, if someone is trying is presenting and trying to pass as a specific gender. It can be really disheartening to be asked all the time because then it makes you feel like you're not passing because asking is not the norm yet. Exactly. So it's kind of a chicken-egg problem. Do we ask everyone? You know, it's not normalized until we start asking everyone, but we can't... It's not comfortable asking everyone until it's normalized. Exactly. It's kind of a catch-22. I wish everyone would just ask everyone, because that would make things a lot easier. Got it. And what about, like, honorifics? So we talked about pronouns. Is there genderless honorifics like ma'am or sir or miss or mister? Luke is here. Me and a friend actually came up with mer, which is, like, a combination of ma'am and sir. And there's also mix instead of miss or mister that people use. Mix? M-I-X? Uh, I think it's M-X. M-X, okay. Like instead of M-R for mister or M-S for miss. Yeah. But I mean, they're definitely not really, uh, they're not a big thing outside of the trans community yet, which is kind of upsetting. But then again, you know, like we're still seen as oddities which is gross and uh, you know someday I hope that before like I hope that sometime within my lifetime that it's that we're just accepted and that like asking for pronouns of everyone is accepted and that using things using gender neutral pronouns gender neutral honorifics are normalized uh well is there an understanding like when you're filling out a form and they only give two options for gender or sex or however they label it is there an understanding on how one is supposed to fill that out 
or what approach do is there are there to take t in knowing what to what to put down when you're non-binary um unfortunately it's a thing where you have a lot of forums are like asking for your what your legal gender marker is so you usually have to put that down like on doctors forums so a lot of this requires trans people to have a lot of focus on gender. Do you think that asking for pronouns and having these conversations puts too much focus on gender? I mean, it's just one aspect of a person's being. Is it, is it the most important? Does this put too much focus on it? What are your thoughts on that, um, Curtis? I think it's very easy for um, cis people to feel that way, uh, to feel that gender shouldn't be a big deal. Um, I mean, even more so for men, probably, to feel that way, cis men, uh, that gender should be a big deal. Just like it's very easy for like white people to think that race shouldn't be a big deal. In reality, probably you're right, Like gender shouldn't be a big deal, and race probably shouldn't be a big deal, and orientation probably shouldn't be a big deal. But we live in a world where it's a huge deal. Um, and so if you ignore the struggles that are happening um, with genderqueer and with trans people uh, surrounding gender, um, then you're ignoring something that is a big deal uh, politically and economically, socially, in our families, in our religions. This is a huge deal. It's affecting your life in a lot of ways. Not that it should, but it is. Right, right. So... And what you're suggesting and what you, you all are talking about is asking allies to really change the construct of language and how we interact with people because society is built on assumptions of gender, gender based on presentment. So this is a, like a, um, a paradigm shift for allies and society at large why make this type of adjustment especially when the number of trans people one may interact with on a daily monthly basis is very low lucas here i think it's really it boils down to like being a good person and caring about people and how they feel how they present how they identify how they interact with the world caring about people and wanting to make them comfortable and being considerate. Curtis here. I think it's like we were talking about earlier about these macroaggressions. I think that there's, there's paradigms that these macroaggressions are occurring in. Um, there's a reason why uh, trans people are ostracized in so many different ways. And if you don't want to support that paradigm, you're going to have to change um, the language you use, because the language you use and the ideas you have about gender are part of that paradigm that is literally killing people, that is literally making people lose their jobs. I here. I feel uh, the same way that Curtis and Lucas feel, and that if you care about the ones you love, and if you care about having actual equality for people, then you're going to try not to kind of feed into this cultural norm that says that that just really pushes the sexism into everyday life and if you care about 
making sure that trans people feel welcome and at home and lowering the amount of trans people who end up feeling bad enough and ill enough from the regular world they want to kill themselves, and you're going to want to change language because it it's similar to how um, saying just small homophobic remarks can be generally frowned upon in everyday conversation because people understand that you know, uh, gay and lesbian people have enough to deal with already. If you don't change your language about trans people, you're still kind of contributing to the problem that they deal with and dealing with the otherness that they feel when people just assume that cis is normal and trans is other. And so if you really want to support that community and help improve our quality of life, you're going to have to you're going to want to change your language. You're going to want to get a little, a little bit educated about these issues. Great. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time to talk to me about this topic. Um, this is just one sliver of the issues um, that I'd like to talk on this podcast about uh, trans, especially um trans and Mormonism, which we actually haven't mentioned Mormonism at all in this podcast, because this is kind of just an introduction to cisnormativity and um, how to be an ally. And I think in future podcasts, we'll discuss more of, you know, how that, how this intersects with Mormonism. But I appreciate you three being on. I just wanted, are there any last thoughts that you wanted to share with the listeners? Lucas here. Um, if you can, you should definitely look into, you know, um, gender studies books. And one of the ones that I have really enjoyed and found very um, enlightening and very helpful to myself and helpful in explaining myself to others is both versions of Kate Bornstein's My Gender Workbook. There's the um, 98 version, and then there's the 2013 version. And... Um, the 2013 version is a little updated, and but both are definitely worth a read. This is Bree here. I think one thing that would help me out personally a lot would be if people could maybe just look into what local laws they their community has about trans people and about gender identity, especially in the workplace and in housing. And if you notice that your area doesn't stop discrimination in those areas, I would recommend maybe writing to a local politician. I don't normally give people a political call to action, but this is literally the difference between me being able to live in a house and have a job and not, so it's kind of important to me. I hope that in the future this podcast is able to explore this subject a little bit more, but I would I really hope that anybody who does care about any oppressed groups um, recognizes the intersection that trans issues have with those oppressed groups. Um, recognizes that, for example, um, something that, that uh, Brie was talking about once with, with, with us was uh, how um, trans women of color are more likely to be murdered. 
Um, so if you care about people of color, you need to care about trans women of color. And if you care about uh, female empowerment, you need to care about trans women uh, empowerment too, because trans women are women. Um, and lots of these issues, uh, the queer issues and the uh, women liberation issues and the trans issues, they very much intersect in this discussion that we're having about gender. And there's so much we can learn about gender and about gender oppression and about um, gender liberation from the trans movement and from the gender nonconforming movement. Great. Well, thank you again for for talking with me and talking about these issues. Um, I hope that this podcast has provided our listeners with a little bit of um, tips on how to be a better ally. I know that I've certainly learned a lot from talking with you three, and um, my plan is to continue this conversation. And as you said, Curtis, there are a lot of issues that to be explored, um, and especially how... Uh, trans intersects with Mormonism. I'm looking forward to these future topics. So join me again in the future. Thank you. Thank you.